chapter two of abraham lincoln a history volume ten this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume ten by john hay and john george nicolay the albemarle the successive captures and recaptures of the town of plymouth in north carolina were episodes of the war so unimportant that they would scarcely claim a place in history were it not for the memorable naval fights in the spring of eighteen sixty four in which the confederate ironclad albemarle gained great distinction and the splendid heroism of a young sailor by which in the autumn of the same year she was destroyed this famous vessel was slowly and painfully constructed far inland in a cornfield on the banks of the roanoke river about thirty miles below weldon the same officer who had changed the merrimac into the ironclad virginia used the experience acquired in that service in the building of the albemarle nearly everything requisite in shipbuilding was lacking but in spite of all difficulties the vessel was built at last and slid from the bluff into the river without springing a leak she measured one hundred and fifty-two feet in length forty-five in width and with her armor on drew eight feet in general construction she resembled all the other confederate ironclads her casement or shield was sixty feet long sloping to the deck at an angle of forty-five degrees plated with two courses of two-inch iron rolled at the tredgegar works she was armed with two rifled brook guns mounted on pivot carriages so disposed that each gun commanded three portholes her beak was of oak plated with two-inch iron she was a year under construction rumors of her progress occasionally transpired and the brave and vigilant commander c w flusser to whom her first sortie was to be mortal warned the department in the summer of eighteen sixty three that a formidable craft was in preparation in the river it would have required no considerable expedition to destroy her in the yard but general grant's attention was at that time fully occupied with other matters she was not completed until april eighteen sixty four and her first service under her captain j w cook was to assist general hoke in an attack upon the town of plymouth which was held by a small union force under general h w wessels hoke's division marched down and surrounded the place his two flanks resting on the river above and below the town it was the task of the albemarle to clear away the navy from the river front the attack began on the eighteenth of april and lasted all day with no advantage to the confederates wessel's troops and the two gunboats miami and southfield under the intelligent direction of flusser repulsing every attempt to take the place 
but on the next day the intervention of the albemarle put a different face on the affair she dropped down the river in front of the town by night the fire of the fort rattling harmlessly against her shield flusser warned of her coming made ready for action and steamed up to meet her with the miami and the southfield chained together the adversaries met in the first glimmer of dawn the ram struck the miami a slight blow and passing on with one thrust of her beak tore open the side of the southfield which filled and sank almost immediately the miami opened upon the ram with her batteries with results fatal only to her own brave commander flusser who was personally firing the first shots was struck by a fragment of a dahlgren shell rebounding from the iron side of the ram and instantly killed his successor in command seeing that if he remained he would simply be sacrificing his vessel uselessly retired down the river to albemarle sound the post of plymouth surrounded on every side fell into the hands of the confederates the destruction of the albemarle was thenceforward the principal object of the naval squadron in the sound captain melancton smith an able and experienced officer was dispatched to the scene of action for that especial service he rapidly made the necessary arrangements for attack his main reliance was upon his guns and torpedoes ramming was to be resorted to in the discretion of commanders though the peculiar construction of the double enders of which his fleet consisted rendered this a doubtful expedient the albemarle did not wait to be attacked but sallied forth at midday of the fifth of may with the intention of clearing both albemarle and pamlico sounds of the union fleet and if possible regaining control of hatteras inlet she was attended by the transport cotton plant and the captured store-ship bombshell smith speedily got his vessels under way the flagship matabeset leading the sassacus and the rest of the fleet following eight vessels in all carrying thirty-two guns besides twenty-three howitzers against this heavy armament the undaunted ironclad came on with her two guns and so enormous is the power of invulnerability that the fight was not altogether unequal we feel in reading the epics and sagas of the past that achilles and siegfried are safe no matter what the number of their adversaries unless the exposed heel or the mark of the linden leaf is touched without the ironclads in mobile bay all the valor of farragut would have been of no avail against the tough sides of the tennessee the cotton plant was at once ordered back out of danger and the bombshell at the first onset of the union fleet surrendered but the albemarle held her own sturdily her two pivot guns working in safety and at leisure seemed to quadruple themselves by dint of efficiency the battle began at a quarter before five o'clock the albemarle fired two damaging shots into the matabeset and then tried to ram her but the swifter ship evaded the blow 
and poured a broadside upon the ironclad the sassacus coming up did the same and the other vessels in succession did what they could their principal danger was firing into or fouling each other their fire was by no means ineffective the boats of the albemarle were shot away her smoke-stack so injured that it almost ceased to draw many of her plates were started and shattered and her after-gun was broken and disabled but to the eyes of the officers in the union fleet this concentrated fire appeared to have no more effect on the ironsides of the monster than so much thistle-down lieutenant commander f a Rowe of the sassacus therefore resolved to try the desperate expedient of ramming the ironclad he drew off to a distance of some two hundred yards and putting on a full head of steam rushed upon the albemarle at a speed of ten knots an hour he struck her just abaft the casemate on the starboard side with a shock which caused every timber to groan though nothing gave way there was a moment of consternation on board the ram but seeing they did not sink the crew immediately rallied to their guns and continued the fight the sassacus steamed heavily hoping to force the ram under water and in this row might have met the success his bravery deserved but for a shot from the albemarle which passed through his boiler and in an instant filled his vessel with scalding steam disabling his engine and sixteen men crippled as he was his engine room inaccessible the vessel filled with smoke and steam and the shrieks of scalded sailors Rowe still fought his guns with imperturbable gallantry hurling upon the albemarle his hundred-pound shot which rebounded in pieces on his own deck he slowly dropped out of the fight and a period of considerable confusion ensued as the result of two mistakes the flag of the albemarle being shot away it was thought she had surrendered and the wyalusing erroneously reported herself as sinking this caused a temporary cessation of the battle which was not renewed with much energy until night closed in the albemarle whose riddled smokestack refused to draw was able by burning the lard and bacon on board to steam back to plymouth she had gained great glory throughout the confederacy by her two battles and captain cook was promoted to the command of the rebel navy on the coast of north carolina with a few knots more speed she could have destroyed the whole union fleet as it was the capture of a fort with a brigade of prisoners the destruction of a gunboat and a drawn battle lasting a full afternoon with a squadron mounting fifty-five pieces were no inconsiderable claims to renown she came out of the roanoke but once after this battle on the twenty fourth of may she was seen by a picket boat apparently dragging four torpedoes a single shot fired at her caused her to retire up the stream she lay at her berth by the wharf at plymouth until the twenty seventh of october when her name was associated forever with one still more glorious of course the navy department could not count upon this long inaction and so long as the albemarle lay substantially unhurt at plymouth she was a source of constant anxiety to the squadron in the sound 
they had no ironclads of sufficiently light draught to cross the bar at hatteras inlet several were in course of construction but it was not safe to wait for their completion a party of volunteers from the wyalusing was sent to destroy the ram with torpedoes late in may but an untoward accident the fouling of their line by a schooner prevented a success which was merited by their courage and good conduct september had come before the plan and the men were found that were adapted to the work the scheme was to fit out two small steam launches rigged with spar torpedoes and armed with howitzers which should try to reach the ram at night by surprise the man was lieutenant william b cushing who had attracted the attention of his superiors by several noteworthy examples of coolness and daring once he had landed by night with two boat crews at the town of smithville being rowed under the very guns of fort caswell walked with three men to general lewis haybert's headquarters captured an officer of engineers the general himself being absent in wilmington and had come safely away with his prisoner from a post garrisoned by a thousand men at another time having volunteered to destroy the ironclad raleigh supposed to be lying in the cape fear river he went in his cutter up the stream eluding the sentries on either shore landed within seven miles of wilmington thoroughly reconnoitred the place found the raleigh a total wreck and after three days of adventures in which his luck and daring were equally amazing he was intercepted on his return down the river in the moonlight by a whole fleet of guard boats and his escape apparently cut off turning about he found himself confronted by a schooner filled with troops instead of surrendering he dashed for new inlet and seconded by his crew who always seemed when with him as insensible to danger as himself he escaped into the breakers where the enemy dared not follow and safely rejoined his ship his perfect coolness in critical emergencies was a matter of temperament rather than calculation he prepared everything in advance with a care and judgment remarkable in one so young but when the time of action came the immediate peril of death was nothing more than a gentle stimulant to him he enjoyed it as he would have frolic he was a handsome youth twenty-one years of age six feet high with a beardless face and bright autumn hair after conferences with admiral lee and mr fox the assistant secretary of the navy cushing went to new york and found two launches at the brooklyn navy yard suited to his purpose they were forty-six feet in length nine and a half feet wide and drew about forty inches while they were being equipped for the work by engineer-in-chief w w wood of the navy cushing visited his mother in fredonia new york and confided to her his intention saying he needed her prayers returning to new york he took his launches out and tested his torpedoes and then started them southward by way of chesapeake bay one of them on the way was attacked by guerrillas and burned at hampton roads cushing refitted his only remaining boat and passing through the dismal swamp came to roanoke island there he gave out that he was bound for beaufort and steamed away by night to join the fleet which was lying off the mouth of the roanoke river the senior officer being commander w h macomb whose flagship was the shamrock 
here for the first time cushing disclosed to his officers and men the purpose of his expedition leaving them free to go or stay as they preferred all wanted to go with him several others volunteered among them paymaster francis h swan whose anxiety for a fight was paid by a severe wound and four months in libby prison w a howarth cushing's tried and trusted companion in former adventures and two other masters mates thomas s gay and john woodman two engineer officers stever and stotesbury and eight men a cutter from the shamrock was taken in tow with eleven men their duty was to board the wreck of the southfield if the guard which was known to be posted there should discover the party as they passed a false start was made on the night of the twenty sixth the boat ran aground and so much time was wasted in getting her off that the expedition was postponed for twenty-four hours at midnight in rain and storm the devoted little party set forth fortune favoured them at first they passed the wreck of the southfield without a hail and came in view of the few lights of plymouth the little noise made by the low-pressure engines was muffled with tarpaulins which also concealed every ray of light from the launch cushing stood near the bow connected by lines with every part of the boat as the brain is by nerves with every limb he held a line by which he was to detach the torpedo from the spar which carried it when it should have been shoved under the overhang of the ram another by which he was to explode it after it had floated up to a point of contact and two more one attached to the wrist and one to the ankle of the engineer by which he directed the movements of the boat he had two complete plans in his mind one was to use his own nervous phrase to take the albemarle alive by landing some distance below stealing up and dashing on her from the wharf but just as he was shearing in close to the lower wharf he heard a dog bark a sentry hail and a moment afterwards a shot was fired instantly dismissing his first plan cushing ordered the cutter to cast loose and row to capture the southfield's picket and then putting on all steam he rushed for the ram whose black bulk loomed in the darkness before him by the light of a fire on the wharf he discovered that she was surrounded by a boom of logs extending all around her for the express purpose of protecting her against torpedoes a brisk fire opened on the launch from the ship and the shore but his keen intelligence was only sharpened by the danger and he saw at a glance that on the course he was taking he could not get over the boom he therefore sheered off a hundred yards and then turning came at full speed to strike the logs at right angles hoping thus to slide over them and getting inside the sort of pen they formed to reach the ram the fire had by this time become severe swan was wounded cushing's clothes were torn by three bullets the sole of his shoe was carried away but he was unhurt and very happy being hailed again as he dashed forward he shouted leave the ram we are going to blow you up a response as considerate as it proved truthful his crew catching the infection also chaffed the confederates while cushing not wishing to let the enemy do all the firing sent a charge of canister among them at short range which he said served to moderate their zeal and disturb their aim the launch touched the logs and slid gently over them the spar was lowered cushing as cool in that shower of deadly missiles and in face of a hundred pound 
rifle whose muzzle he could now plainly see as a skilled artisan at his bench watched for the proper instant detached the torpedo with a line held in his right hand waited a moment for it to rise under the hull of the ram and then pulled with the left hand which had just been cut by a bullet at the same instant the hundred pounder was fired the grape shot at ten feet range came roaring over cushing and his crew just missing them but the torpedo had done its work and a suffocating mass of water rose from the side of the albemarle and fell upon the launch half filling it and drenching the crew cushing who thought his boat had been pierced by the shot from the ram saw there was no hope of saving her being summoned to surrender he refused and ordered his crew to save themselves he threw off his sword revolver coat and shoes and jumped into the water the albemarle's commander did not at first realize what had happened he heard a dull report as of an unshotted gun a fragment of wood fell at his feet he sent a carpenter to examine the hull who reported a hole big enough to drive a wagon in the albemarle was resting in the mud she had sunk so little her own officers did not perceive it and the victors were unconscious of their success the men in the launch were captured all but three who had followed cushing in his desperate leap into the icy river two of these were drowned the third got ashore and was saved perhaps no event of his life gave such proof of cushing's extraordinary nerve and endurance as his escape he swam out in the darkness knowing there was no shelter for him but the fleet twelve miles away he evaded the rebel boats which were rowing about the river until he was well out of sight nearing the shore he found woodman drowning and kept him up ten minutes with his own fast failing strength but could not bring him to land cushing at last managed to reach the muddy shore and fell half in and half out of the water there he lay until daybreak unable to move when the dawn came he found himself lying on the edge of a swamp in full view of a sentry not forty steps from a fort when the sun had warmed his chilled limbs a little he attempted to crawl away from his exposed position and being covered with mud he succeeded by sliding on his back inch by inch though soldiers were several times almost near enough to tread on him after gaining the swamp he wandered for several hours among the cypresses scratched and torn at every step by thorns and briars at last he found an aged negro and the disposition he made of him is noteworthy instead of employing him to assist in his escape cushing plied him with greenbacks and texts of scripture until he induced him to go into plymouth and get news of the last night's affair the tidings he brought back were such a cordial to the forlorn victor that he plunged into the swamp with new heart and hope in the afternoon he came upon a stream where there was a picket post of soldiers who had a small skiff fastened to a cypress root in the water watching them till they sat down to eat he swam to the boat noiselessly unfastened it and drew it around a bend in the river then got in and paddled for life and liberty he floated on through twilight to darkness out of the roanoke into the broad sound the night was providentially still and calm he steered by the stars till he reached the picket vessel valley city he had strength enough left to give a feeble hail then fell with a splash into the water in the bottom of his boat 
he had paddled he says every minute for ten successive hours and for four my body had been asleep with the exception of my two arms and brain at first they took the skiff for a torpedo boat and were more inclined to give him a volley of musketry than to pick him up but he soon established his identity refreshed himself and went to report to the flagship where he was received as one risen from the dead with salutes of rejoicing the night air became gay with rockets and all hands were called to cheer ship perhaps the most remarkable words in the simple narrative this heroic youth has left of his strange adventure are these with which it closes in the morning i was again well in every way with the exception of hands and feet and had the pleasure of exchanging shots with the batteries that i had inspected on the day previous on the thirtieth of october commander macomb having ascertained that the direct channel was obstructed passed into the roanoke above plymouth by middle river and thus took the place in reverse a spirited engagement between the fleet and the forts began about eleven in the morning of the thirty-first a fortunate shot from the shamrock exploded the enemy's magazine and the confederates hastily evacuated their works the victorious sailors rowing ashore captured the rear guard with twenty-two cannon and a large quantity of stores End of chapter two